I'm Heidi Harris. This is the Heidi Harris Show podcast. I do this a couple of times a week. You can subscribe for free at iTunes, Heidi Harris Show. And you can catch my live radio show weekdays, 8 to 10 a.m. on KMZQ. That's 670 a.m. in Las Vegas. Earlier in the week, I had the privilege of speaking with John Ponder. He's the founder of Hope for Prisoners. Now, there's a lot of controversy and a lot of discussion about prison reform, criminal justice reform, what can be done. The bottom line is that most people in prison are going to get out someday. Something's got to be done to give them some kind of hope, some kind of purpose. And I realized a lot of folks will say, well, we should just throw the key away, the heck with it, they made their own decisions. Well, that may be true, but ultimately, if they're going to get back out again, isn't it incumbent upon all of us to make sure that they do not reoffend and that they become productive members of society. John Ponder's done amazing things with his program, Hope for Prisoners. He joined me earlier this week on my live radio broadcast. We have to do something for all of these people, and I'm glad Hope for Prisoners is doing it. That's where you come in. Absolutely, 100%. And it's a, it's a very important that we take a look at that because, as you said, they are going to be coming home. And I think that we have a responsibility as a community to make sure that we're doing everything we can to prepare them for, for when they get released. Now, these folks have done their time. They paid their debt to society. And, you know, the majority of them will be coming home. And what we do to be able to assist them is going to determine whether they're going to be successful or not. Now, talk a little bit about, about the fact your history, you know, and how you got involved with Hope for Prisoners. You created Hope for Prisoners. How you saw a need there? Well, absolutely. For First of all, you know, I was I was that guy coming in out of the system since, you know, forever. Uh, first arrested when I was 12 years old. First caught my first felony conviction. You know, I was 16 years old. What'd you old. do when you were 16? You Man, want to tell us? It was, it, was a, it, was a, it was a robbery charge. Wow. Growing up in the streets of New York, and it was an armed robbery charge. It was my first, very first felony conviction. Uh, but life spiraled out of control out of that, out of there. So coming in and out of the system, learned to, uh, made a whole lot of mistakes from all those mistakes that I made. Uh, the last mistake that I made led me to a maximum security United States federal penitentiary behind 50-foot walls where I had a conversation in a, in a jail cell with God and said, you know, I'm, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. God showed up in a, in a magnificent way. I made a 180 degree turn in my life and out of that birthed my passion to help other men and women who are facing those same challenges that I once had to face to do everything I can to remove the barriers that are preventing them from being successful and to help to escort them up to the next level of life. Now, what was the thing? Now, you were in and out of the system a lot, so you saw a lot of this, but when you first got into the system, what surprised you the most that you saw behind the scenes? What did it look like compared to what you maybe envisioned it looked like. Right. Well, one of the things that I've learned is one of the, the problems that we need to, to, need to tackle is that the infrastructure of the prison system, the day-to-day operations of it, they create habits that are the exact opposite of successful reentry. Interesting. So if an individual is allowed to do time the way the infrastructure is designed, if they keep that pattern of behavior up four or five times a day over the course of the next 10 years, it will be impossible for that person to come home and successfully reintegrate back into the community. Interesting. Like, give me an example of some infrastructure that makes it difficult to adjust to the outside. Sure. And we can we can get a little deep into that, even with the, uh, with the, with the things that, uh, that folks are allowed to do. If they're allowed to sit down and watch television for eight, nine, ten hours a day inside a prison system, and we know this scientifically proven that too much passive entertainment destroys a person's creative thinking ability. So if you're able to sit there for eight, nine, ten hours a day and watch television, it will be absolutely impossible for you to be successful once you get released, because once you get released, you want to revert back to that same habit 
of being lazy, sitting on a couch, and doing what it is that you're accustomed to doing. You know, I, just an aside, but I think that's so important. Remember when they had the Chilean miners a few years back, and there were 33 of them, and they were ultimately rescued? Mm-hmm. There was a great book that they all got together and wrote about their situation. It was called 33 Men. And within like a week of them being trapped, they were able to get things down there, you know, food, water, to keep them sustained. And they kind of created their own society. Sure. You do this, I do that, to keep it going. They said that the thing that destroyed everything they'd done was when they were able to get TV down there. Absolutely. 100%. And so it doesn't surprise me at all what you say. Sure. I never thought about it that way, right. but I guess the wardens just say, okay, they're calm, they're quiet. It's like people handing their kid a smartphone. We just want you quiet. We don't want you stimulated. Right. And, as, and again, that's the biggest thing that, that we need to focus our attention on and to make sure that the environment they're in, that they're in, yes, we're concerned about safety and security, but what if there's a way that we can um, uh, implement or augment a way for them to be able to learn while they're paying their penance, they're locked away, but if we can infuse things Things is going to stimulate growth and development inside the prison system, then that increases the probability of them being successful once they get released. Now, what's the percentage of people who blame everybody else for their problems but themselves? And do they keep that attitude until they get out? Right. I, I think that a, a great deal of folks uh, uh, do that, which, which is different from the from the state and the federal system. In the federal system, but when you go before a judge, a judge, you have to accept full responsibility for what it is that you've done. Oh, and you really? have to stand before the judge and be able to do that. But again, I think that it's a mindset, Heidi, that needs to be changed. And that's one of the things that we want to do is be able to be in the system, to be able to work with them, to help change that mindset. Because the one thing that we've discovered, and I can speak from my own personal experience, is that the majority of people from this segment of the population, they really want to change. They have no idea how to do that. And that's what it is that we need to do to be able to share with them that, yes, uh, change is possible. That's where you instill the hope. And then come alongside them to help create reference points where reference points may have never existed before. Yeah, that's super important. We're speaking with John Ponder for Hope for Prisoners. So now once you got out the last time, how did you get how did you start it? I mean, it's, it's kind of hard to say, OK, I'm going to create something. Right. How, how do you do it? Right. Well, and, and then part of part of my story is, you know, Hope for Prisoners was was uh, was a vision that was impregnated with, uh, with by God many years ago in prison. So I spent every waking moment of my time, again, not only addressing the issues that led to my incarceration and arm against arming myself against those things never happen again. But I worked on the vision. And when I you know got released back in 2009, I began digging trenches in this community trying to put this vision together and it it just caught legs with the you know with the help of uh partnerships that you know we built up here in the community and donald trump has been very supportive of what you've done yes absolutely he has it was such an honor that was recognized on the national day of prayer uh, inside the rose garden uh and it was such an honor to be uh, recognized by the office of the president of the united states yeah and metro has been too because you know these police officers they don't want to see these people again after they get out they want them to go on and live productive lives absolutely one of the things that we have built up with our partnership with the Las Vegas Metropolitan Police Department that has caused national attention, you know, under Sheriff Kevin McMahill and I sat down in a Starbucks going back about five, six years ago. Are all the police meetings in Starbucks? Because whenever I have to meet with the police, I, I feel like I'm always at a Starbucks. They, right. know, they know where all of them are, don't right. they? Right. Absolutely. And it's really, really good coffee there. They certainly do. But we sat down in that Starbucks that day and he was taking the directive of then Sheriff Doug Gillespie, who uh, had made a statement that the police Department have come to the realization that they cannot arrest their way out of right. the ills of the community. So that as a police department, Metro wanted to see what could they do to think outside the box 
right, to help people that are coming home from prison uh, uh, be uh, prevent from going back in the system. And it, it again, it is something that has caused national attention never before in the history of reentry to this magnitude. Nowhere on this planet has law enforcement gotten this involved in mentoring and training folks that are coming home from the prison system. Fantastic. Now, the hardest part, one of the hardest things, is you have to change all your associations when you got a prison. That's a big deal. And also, even if you want to change all your associations and change your life, You've got to be able to get a job, and, and so a lot of employers don't want to hire you, depending. That's a, a tough hurdle. Right. Right now, our organization is sitting on more jobs right now than we can fill. That's great. And let me tell you a reason how we were able to get that, because it wasn't all that way back in 2009. Not only was the economy tanked, but the only jobs that were available for these folks were you know, telemarketing jobs, which you can't support your family with things like that. So we you know, hit the ground running and started having a conversation with some of those employers that have traditionally not hired people from this segment of the population, and we uh, sold them on our role that we play in the life of the person that's coming home. That they're not just hiring John and Jane Doe, the uh, the former offender. They're hiring this entire army of people that are going to be with them over the next 18 months post-conviction, post-prison, uh, that we're going to do everything we can to help make sure that they're going to be soaring like a superstar inside those uh, inside those workplaces opening up the door for the next person who's coming through our That's mechanism. super important, too, because they are opening the door for the next person because you don't want to blow it. Then, they, then they're going to assume that you can't hire anybody who's next gone. Absolutely. We, we, we uh, help them get the mindset that if they fail, uh, that the next person coming to bind behind me is going to be failed. And, and if you take a look at it, Heidi, there are 6,000, nearly 6,000 men and women uh, who are returning home from the Nevada Department of Corrections every single year. Wow. There's almost 700 returning from the Federal Bureau of Prison. Wow. 200 people a day get released from the Clark County Detention Center. So Metro arrests 250. You got 250 coming in the front door and 200 coming going out the back door. But coming home to what? They're right. coming home previously to this never-ending vicious cycle called recidivism. And that's what Hope for Prisons want to do. We want to disrupt that uh, that never-ending vicious cycle of recidivism. But the only way we're going to be able to do that is what it is we're doing is help to create a massive amount of people who come home from the judicial system. And not only do they just not ever reoffend again, we help them to begin to live levels of life that most people only dream of. And they probably never dreamed of it either. Absolutely. I remember I've toured every prison in Clark County, and I even went up to Ely Prison and uh, with, the, with with Howard Skolnick, you know, yes. former Department of Corrections head, as yes. you know. And I remember standing there in one of the rooms where they were just doing the intake. I think it was at Ely. Right. And you see all these guys coming in from the intake, and, and some of them are just frightening looking. And he, it was funny. Somebody said, I don't remember if it was him or somebody else said, you can always tell the guys who've been there before because they just walk in and they're like, yeah, whatever. They know what to expect. Sure. And the new ones look sure. like scared rabbits, right, right. just terrified, yes. like, oh, my gosh, I'm in this maximum security prison. Sure. What's going to happen to me? It's sure. pretty terrible. We're speaking with John Ponder from Hope for Prisoners. John, when you talk to prisoners, what needs to change? Is it a lack of spirituality? Is it a lack of taking responsibility for their own bad decisions? Or is it a combination? I think, Heidi, is a combination of everything. You know, starting with the with the spiritual aspect of it, right? If you get that spiritual aspect correct, then everything else is going to follow. Right. But when you talk about the attitude, the acceptance, responsibility, you cannot begin to change until you are 100% accountable for what it was right. for, you, for your actions. No matter what you went through, Absolutely. no matter how you were 
raised, you have to take accountability. And also when it comes to the spiritual aspect, if you believe that God has a plan for your life, Absolutely. God created you. You're here. I, I end every show by saying you're here for a purpose because we all are. Right. And I can understand how if you're an inmate and you feel like, what difference does it make? Who cares if I'm here? Who cares what I do? And suddenly you know that there's a God who loves you and cares about you. That's, that's a game changer. Absolutely. 100%. That was one of the things that I had to, after I had my conversation with God in a, in a prison cell, uh, you know, I had come to a, a point in my life where, you know, sick and tired of being sick and tired, looked back over the last 38 years of my life and just completed absolutely nothing and saying to myself that I know that I know that I know that it has to be more to life than what it is that I'm living if somehow something was different. And that difference was that I was not living out my purpose for me being here. Right. So when you're able to help people understand that you have a purpose, there's a reason why you're here on this earth and, and what it is that what my calling is to help people usher into that purpose. Now that purpose sometimes for some people is going to do phenomenal things. Sometimes that person's purpose might to be to take your rightful position in your home as a man and raise your children so that they don't go down that path and make the same mistakes that you are making. Yeah. But until people uh, do not fully understand their purpose or understand their why, they will stay in this never-ending vicious cycle of unfulfillment. Yeah, or they'll make 150,000 bad decisions, and then they get in jail, and they say, well, I said I was sorry. <laughs> well, whoa, 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 whoa. You, you, right. you, did you say you were sorry 100,000 bad decisions ago? That right. took a lot to get you to this point. Right. You make an interesting point about parents and families. Obviously, we know it starts in the home. Mm-hmm. Now, we, we all know some good some people who had good parents who still went off the rails. We know sure. that can happen. Absolutely. But so often, there aren't fathers in the home. Mm. There's not stability in the home. Talk a little bit about that and what you've seen. Yeah, so if you take a look at the, the men and women, there are 2.3 million people incarcerated in the United States right now, and the the vast majority of those, and upwards of 85%, grew up in fatherless homes, right? And again, awesome. growing up, guessing at masculinity, what's going to make you a man, which direction does it need to go? And anytime you find yourself in a situation like that, you go through life throwing darts, guessing at which way is the right way to go. Because it's not staying with your family. We know that because there's no example of that. So the women don't want you around. They're going to get the check if you're not around. So that's not it. So now what do you do? Absolutely. So one of the things that we are really big on is, is, is helping men and women, but mostly men, because we want men to take their rightful positions in their home as the leader inside their home to guide and direct and lead the rest of their family, to become fathers to their children so that uh, they can instill values and principles within the children that they that were not in them at that time. Yeah. And if we're able to do that as we're working with men and women and they can do that with their children, then what we're doing, Heidi, is reaching out and touching the next generation of a family that will be, they'll be able to raise it up and we'll live in a, in a community that is much different than the ones that mom and dad may have grew up, grow, yeah. grown up in. Absolutely. Absolutely, because there's so many kids being born without dads in the home. All races, no particular race right. does this. And it's just it's shock. People don't understand. And I've had people say to me, oh, kids don't need dads. Right. I mean, how, I've had women say that to me. How oh. dare you say right. that? Absolutely. How dare you? Absolutely. 100%. It has repercussions. And, and for a woman to, to be raised in a family without a father, uh-huh. you know, a man, you said, a man doesn't understand what his place in the world is. Right. If there's no father in the home, he can't really get a feel for what it is. Mm-hmm. So he may go out in different ways. Sure. For a woman with raised with no father in the home, she thinks all 
all men are jerks because the first mm-hmm. one he's supposed to love her wasn't there. Exactly. So you don't trust a man, and that has repercussions forever, too. Absolutely, and, and women will go out, and without sounding cliche, is they will be looking for love in all the wrong places. Absolutely. Well, looking th- to right? fill that void of a father who was not there. So Yeah, that's that's true. So, so, so talk a little bit about some of the actual things that you— First of all, who do you talk to first? Are there people who want to talk to you when they say, I'd, I'd like to talk to John Ponder, I'd like to talk to his organization? Or do, you, do, do the other people who are overseeing them point out folks who might need your leadership? Or how does that work? I think it was a combination of both. First of all, we've built up this wonderful relationship with Nevada Department of Corrections. So grateful for James Zarenda, new, new director over there. So we actually go inside the prison system and uh, develop those relationships with those folks. So uh, we get the referrals from Nevada Department of Corrections okay. in addition to us going in there boots on the ground working with them. The other partnership that we have very surprising is with the Clark County District Attorney's Office. District Attorney's Steve Wolfson and I, with uh, his counterpart over there, Nell Christensen, we have been working on a, a pilot program to to help men and women while they're inside the Clark County Detention Center, which is, you know, really, really phenomenal. It's so, a lovely overcrowded place. Oh, very much so. <laughs> but we're excited about the opportunity to going in there uh, and working with them in the Clark County Detention Center, Florence McCaw's Women's Facility, mm-hmm. uh, in addition to uh, High Desert State Prison, to get in there, to develop relationships with those folks, uh, in, uh, introduce them to the possibility of, of change and in hope and then continue that relationship with them over the course of the next 18 months uh, post-release. That's what's important because you know what? They're going to get out. They need hope to create new lives and and create great families and do the best they can with the life God's given them. John Ponder, Absolutely. Hope for Prisoners, thanks for being here. It is an honor to be here. Thank you it's so much for having me. privilege to have you. Where can people find you? Hopeforprisoners.org. Okay, check it out at HopeForPrisoners.org. It was a real honor to speak with John Ponder. He's one of the good guys making a real difference in the world. What a privilege. What a great guy. Join me for the Heidi Harris Show live weekdays, 8 to 10 a.m. at 670 a.m. KMZQ in Las Vegas. And, of course, you can subscribe to this podcast for free. You can also check out HeidiHarris.com where I do some you know podcasts and I do some blog posts and things like that. And you can also pick up a copy of my brand new book. It's called Don't Pat Me on the Head. Blowback, Setbacks, and Comebacks in Vegas Radio. It's a great stocking stuffer. Pick it up. I'm telling you. Until we meet again, remember, you were created for a purpose. Here's Tony Scottwell.